So even though I never had a storage unit, my house had become a storage unit. And, you know, and I'd have to get bigger rooms and, and more rooms so I could take things when we're having people over or whatever. I would like organize or declutter. I'd walk down the hallway and open a door and put something in there, hoping nobody would go in that door. And my house was organized. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 75 with Brenda Mason. I met Brenda at the Big Mass Tiny House Festival last year and immediately connected with her about her downsizing story and just the way she goes about spreading the message about the tiny house movement and downsizing in general. Brenda has written a book about downsizing and leads an online course and membership site on the same topic. And the interesting thing about her story is that she downsized from a rather large house in just 31 days, and she's kind of turned that into a methodology. So in this conversation, Brenda will share her take on downsizing, some tips, some some thoughts on the emotional connections that we all have with our stuff, and additional reflections on why she chose to live in a motorhome rather than convert a school bus or uh, do a traditional tiny house on wheels. I hope you stick around. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's show, Strategic Insurance Agency. Early on in the tiny house movement, getting insurance for your tiny home was incredibly difficult. Strategic Insurance Agency now offers homeowner-style insurance for movable and ground-bound tiny houses in all 50 states. That means you can get covered for fire, theft, liability, personal property, and more. People often pour their life savings into buying or building a tiny house and Strategic Insurance Agency can help you protect that investment. They even cover your house if you want to try short-term rentals like Airbnb and offer special insurance for tiny house builders as well. The best part is that it's super easy to get a quote. Head over to mystrategicinsurance.com slash THLP to get a quick free quote for insuring your tiny home. And for every tiny house policy written, Strategic Insurance Agency will donate $5 to a tiny house charity of your choice. Again, that's mystrategicinsurance.com slash THLP for a free tiny house insurance quote. Thank you so much to Strategic Insurance Agency for sponsoring the show. Right, I am here with Brenda Mason. Brenda is a tiny house speaker, author, and downsizing consultant. Brenda's tiny living transformation started in 2015 when she was heading into the empty nest phase of life with a realization that her nest was overflowing with 50 years of accumulated stuff. She downsized from a stuffed 3,100 square foot five bedroom home to a 310 square foot converted motor coach tiny home in 31 days. Brenda Mason, welcome to the show. Hi, Ethan. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Um, What a great story. Why is downsizing so hard for so many people? Oh, (laughs) I mean, in your excellent question. Why was it so hard for you? Yeah. So 
I'll tell you, I think, I think the hardest thing is everybody wants to simplify their lives. And I'm just going to tell it to you with the clutter code chains that I experienced for myself. I'm going to explain that to you real quick. I think that there is um, so much pressure to hold on to things because we've put so much money into them, or perhaps they're going to be worth something one day. And we get into that mindset that we have to hold on to things. You know, nobody ever told me, oh, well, let me tell you the rest of the clock chains. The other one is the what if, what if I need it one day? You know, media is always out there telling us about the next shiny thing, but it never tells us what to do with all the things that were shiny that have dulled and we think we have to hold on to them. And then the other, of course, biggest one is uh, heartstrings, you know, uh, memories, somebody that gave them, gave us something. We think we have to hold on to those. There's a little bit of fear and anxiety with letting stuff go. And then um, somehow we've gotten into the realm that what we own says who we are and represents who we are. And that's not actually true. So we, it, it almost becomes ingrained in us and yet it's really not a part of us at all. I don't know if that really answered your question, but that was, those were the things that really kept me stuck because I had my great grandmother's stuff, great grandparents and my grandparents and my parents. And I have great relationships with all of them at, at the time, you know, of course, a couple of them passed on since then. But if I let go of something, it was like letting go of them. And that's not really um, the truth in the matter in most cases. So how did you how do you help people or how do you advise people grapple with that? Because I think that's it's fairly common that we end up with things from our parents or grandparents or beyond, and there's a lot of sentimental value. So how how can you let those things go but still feel okay about it? Well, um, in in my I'm going to tell you a little bit of background in my methodology. Is that okay? Sure. Does that help you with that? Okay. Yeah. So when we first begin, and how I had to do, I knew I was going to a tiny home. And I, I already knew the size of my bus and there was no way I could take everything with me. So I had to really take a look at everything that I had in the house and decide um, I have four things that I, I have that uh, I had people go that I have people go through. And one is you have to take a look at each item and you look at what you honestly need. You know, do I really need this? And um, and then or do I honestly need it? You know, sometimes we think we need something and there's no basis for it. So you have to really take a look at that. Take a look at what you um, really use. You know, I have this, but I haven't touched it for 30 years. Or, you know, you've got those boxes that you have no idea what's in it. Obviously, you don't really use them because they've got 30 years worth of dust sitting on them in an attic or, you know, in the closet, whatever. And then do I truly love it? Do I truly love this or do I feel I have to hold on to it? And there is a difference between sentimental items and heartstring items. And as my daughter said, Bomb, everything in this house is a heartstring to you. And as I really started going through it, I realized some things were sentimental. And I still had those memories, whether I still had those items, whether I was still going to have those items or not. So you, you kind of pick. But if something doesn't fall into at least one of those three categories, chances are it's empty clutter and you need to let it go. So. Was 31 days a choice that you made or like a goal that you set for yourself? Like, I'm going to do this in 31 days? Uh, yes and no. It was a choice to do it. 
because I could still be sitting back where I was surrounded by all my stuff. I don't know how I would have done it, Um, but I had 31 days to get it done. And in a way that helped because I had a goal. I mean, I mean, it had to get done. I'd already given the the landlords the out. Everybody was expecting me to be across country. Um, I had a little longer than the 31 days to get from point A to point B, meaning from the West Coast to the East Coast. But I had certain dates that were set. And um, so, yeah, I started on on May 1st. And the very last day of my estate sale was May 31st. And I already had uh, the place that I was going to, anything that didn't sell, um, I knew wasn't going to be able to go with me. And I hadn't chosen any of those items to go with me. So I actually had a, um, a donation center uh, that I was a charity that I was giving everything to already in place with a date that week to come pick everything else up. So that helped quite a bit for me. Nice. And, and so you've kind of turned this experience into a methodology. Oh, yes. Because, you know, I, I think, well, I know I, I got married back in 1982 and I, the items that I owned, I immediately put into storage because within 10 days we were on our way to Germany. And from German, I'm just going to give you a little bit of my background though, but from Germany, we came back to, to Texas while it left from Virginia. So I brought, you know, what we had that we put in storage, plus all the new things that we had accumulated. And I brought everything to Texas. And probably after about two and a half years, three years, we were on our way to South Korea. So everything that was in the States, we weren't military, so we didn't take things with us. But I put everything into storage because I had my grandmother's china, I had my stuff, I had all these things we had from, anyhow, never dawned on me to let some of the stuff go. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the American dream. We keep holding on to things. And so we came back from, from from South Korea. We were in, I think, California for a little bit. But the point was that, each time that I went somewhere, I accumulated new things and I brought everything together. So I was constantly built, having to get larger um, homes. So even though I never had a storage unit, my house had become a storage unit. And, you know, and I'd have to get bigger rooms and, and more rooms so I could take things when we're having people over or whatever. I would like organize or declutter. I'd walk down the hallway and open a door and put something in there, hoping nobody would go in that door. And my house was organized, but I still knew (laughs) there was stuff behind that door that had to one day be dealt with. And I think a lot of people, a lot of us do that type of thing, or we have perfectly organized homes and we have everything that we want in them just right. And then we inherit things or, you know, life changes and we get other things and we don't know what to do with it. So it's easier to put it behind a door and not deal with it. When you teach people to downsize, do you have them do it by room, by category? Do you have them just dump everything into one room and go through it? Like, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, I, I, no, I don't. I have a system. So we start off, you want me to just tell you my system now? Or do you have other questions on that? Oh, please. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So you have to know what you want your oasis to be with. Some people out there, I believe, say your why. Or, but you just envision what you want, what you want it to feel like, how you want your, your, um, your home, how do you want it to feel surrounding you? You know, when you sit down, you don't want to see piles of paper and boxes and all these things, because those weigh heavy on you, those clutter coach, excuse me, and they weigh heavy on you. So, um, but if you know what you want it to be, or if you know you're going smaller to a smaller space, even if you're going to a bigger house, if you kind of know what you're going to, and you can envision it, 
that's a big help. The second thing that we go in and do are those resources. I call them resources, but it's where you're going to take the things. Remember, I mentioned about um, having a, a, a charity that I strongly believed in. I had worked with them and I knew that anything I had left over to go would be good and would help them. So when you know it's going to different places. So the second thing you want to do is know how you're going to rehome your things. Some things just simply have to go to a trash can and, and that's okay. And then you might have, let's say, you're going off grid and you're going to be living, um, you're not going to live, made a decision not to live the corporate world anymore. And you've got all these beautiful two-piece suits, three-piece suits, whatever, man or woman. And you're just looking forward to being in those jeans and flip-flops or cut-off shorts and a t-shirt. And you know, you're not going to use those, but they're very expensive. And, and it was a part of your day in and day out life for a long time. So those all of a sudden are kind of hard to let go of. But if you know of an organization in your area that helps other people get on their feet and out to the out to jobs and they're they're actually going to get used it's easier to donate them or perhaps sell them if you're going to do a yard sale or state sale you decide all of that up front which also helps when you're going through things and you think oh but i paid so much money for it and you think but that's not the lifestyle i want anymore and i'm not going there but other people can use this and it's or i'm going to sell it you know put it to consignment shop or whatever but if you know where it's going to go then that's easier. And you have that already set up and you talk to them, you find out what they're accepting, what their guidelines are. Um, you know, sometimes people don't take anything. Um, you know, like right now, a lot of places aren't accepting summer stuff. They want winter stuff right now. You know, we're kind of off season. Sorry, I'm going on and on. You want me to stop? <laughs> no, no, this is great. Okay. Okay. So anyhow, um, so if you know, if you have ideas and you know where your things are going to go, that helps because then, as we, then the third thing we do, we talk about the color codes, which I've already mentioned to you, um, because if you know where things can go, if it's kind of a sentimental item and you have those memories and you can take a picture of it or whatever it is you're going to do, but you know it's not going to, um, it's not something you honestly need, you really use or truly love and you need to rehome it, you already know in your mind where you're going to rehome that to. It makes it so much easier then because you know it's going to go here. I can put it over here. They're going to come whatever day to pick it up. Or I'm going to sell it or it's going in the trash can and you can keep moving. So then we do start. And I, I take us through, I believe Marie Kondo and a couple other people also begin with clothes. I do have you believe, begin with clothing, um, the things that really fit you, that feel good to the touch, you know, that have your name, your style, everything written all over it um, that fits you now. And, um, you know, so, so you start with clothing and one of the reasons you want to start with something like that. Now for some people, clothing is a heartstring, but not everything is. So you start going through your clothing, but what you're actually also doing one, you're making progress and you're going to empty out your closet and only keep the things that you honestly need, really use and truly love in it. Any one of those combinations, a lot of times with clothing, it's almost all three, but you, um, also are building your decluttering muscles. Because as you start making these decisions, you don't want to start with something that's a heartstring. And there might be something in your closet that is a heartstring. You know, maybe it was your high school cheerleader uniform or your dad's business suit. And all of a sudden you hold on to that and it can paralyze you out. It's like, oh, this belonged to my dad. And you start focusing on that and you get off course. If, if an article of clothing like that is a heartstring or you just can't make a decision, immediately just put it aside and keep going with the other things. By the end of that pile of, most people have massive uh, piles. Um, and then at the very end, you can take a look at it. And if it's still a heartstring, 
there is a heartstring day towards the very end of the process that I have you do. You deal with it then. Because if you didn't, I, I was a photographer and I had my children and they were paparazzied by me. And before, and I knew where every photo, oh my gosh, I had just thousands. And that's even before the digital ones. So anytime I would come like through papers or office work or just a junk drawer and a photo would come, I, I might have glanced at it, but I don't, don't make a decision. But I'd put it in my photo box because that had to come at the very end of the time. So I don't know if that really helps everybody. I sure hope it does because it helped me and it's helped several other people. Anyhow, so that's what, um, that's what we do. And so in answer to your question, yes, we go through uh, clothing, the bathrooms, linens, you know, some of the easier things. And eventually we do get to knickknacks and sentimental items and heartstrings, whatever heartstrings are. And each person needs to do their own items. If you're in a a house with, with somebody else or a dwelling unit, you, you still do all of your things. They can do theirs. Not everybody's always on board, but you just do your items. Um, a lot of times people will get on board after they see how easy life is for you and your stuff in there. And then there's items too that you both maybe bought, a, you know, your furniture together. So those you're not going to be able to just make a decision. That, that'll be a joint decision that you'll need to make. You might have to back off of it. But that's a joint item, so you want to get through all your personal items. Right. Yeah, in my experience, it's it's always so hard to get rid of something. And then, like, once it's gone, you, like, forget about it completely. It's just, yeah, it's, like, so emotional is really what it's all about. Right. It, I've got to tell you, it was so funny for me because after I did all this and I drove cross country and I got where I was going to go, within about a month and a half later, I was with my father. And he and I used to love to go to yard sales and garage sales and all that. So that in itself was a memory for me. It's where I got a lot of great deals. I love the wheel and deal. And all of a sudden, there were these signs around. And it, it said, like, the name of the county and the route number. And I thought there was a referendum or a bond vote uh, that was getting taken. Well, it was, an, it was notification. There was like a 28-plus mile yard sale getting ready to happen. Yes. That's one of the things I love, and I love a great deal. I still do, and I know we've talked about that when we were in Massachusetts. I just love it. So here I was back, so excited, and then I was going to be driving like a road that I do a lot of, and miles and miles of great deals and stuff, and like everything that I had already gotten rid of, I saw, and I, so I, I kind of walked through some of it with my dad, and it was, in, I was in a little bit of a daze because I would see, oh, Cuisinars and China and like dishes and all the things that I liked and tools. I thought I let it go for this amount. They're trying to sell it for this. But you know, then I, I like, I was a little numb going through it, but I backed away a little bit and I thought, but I don't honestly need it. I don't really, would, I wouldn't really use it. I certainly don't love it. And you know, you get stronger and it's funny now because even just going out to a yard sale or an estate, I don't do much in the way of estate sales, but um, but if I need something, I'll go look and I don't mind, you know, picking up something uh, second or third hand and repurposing something. But um, it, it changes your whole life. It, it just it gives you a sense of freedom. It gives you more money in the bank. I don't hardly have any debt. And it just it totally it changes your life when you let go of your clutter because it gives you a different focus and you're not as um, you're not as encumbered by weird stuff. It makes a difference. It just makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think there are people 
there are, there are several hurdles that people go through. There are the people who are super encumbered by their stuff and don't yet realize it. But I think there's a large and growing body of people who do realize that they're encumbered by their stuff and just can't can't figure out how to do it. They know it intellectually, but they can't get over that hurdle of of actually getting rid of it. Yes. You know, it, it's almost like when we're little, we have a, uh, some people have a security blanket or a security binky or a stuffed animal. And that's what all of our stuff has expanded into being. So it, it's really hard. I mean, if it was not hard, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have, um, you know, cluttered homes. We'd be living in our oasises already. And when I was 18, which, you know, how I say it, it's always like way before you were born, but I was in real estate school and they told me that to be a millionaire, you had to be a million dollars in debt. And boy, I was on my way. And a million dollars was a lot more then than it is now. It's still a lot of money, but it, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like that much these days. But um, anyhow, and so, you know, you start accumulating things and keeping up with everybody. And that's a lot of the re- retail. Now, I wasn't born in the 50s, but I was close enough to it that I, you know, I know the when they started building the houses and started doing the subdivisions and retail and marketing. And so the rest of us has grown up and there's a lot of, you know, everybody talks about millennials and what is it, the X generation now or whatever. But the kicker is, and a lot of them don't have as much and aren't as interested. Some are, but not everybody is. However, people are still coming to me or, you know, getting the book or asking for help because their parents want to give them everything or, you know, or have passed away and they're stuck with all this stuff and they don't know what to do with it. But there's that little angst of feeling guilty or what do I do or deer in the headlights. So um, there's a lot of people out there and, and it, it keeps people from from living their dreams. So like my generation, a little bit younger, a little bit older, tiny house festivals. When I was at it, can I tell you that? I'm just, would you like to talk? Shall I just tell you or would you want to interview me? I'm so no, sorry. No, no, you're, you're doing great. Keep, please keep going. I just got on a roll. I was actually, I was actually more reminding you to, to talk into the mic. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice that. I just realized I was going on and on. So I hadn't noticed this is better. Yes. Okay. So tiny house festival in 2016. And I was so excited because I was surrounded by my people. I, I just, cause nobody understood why I wanted to live in a bus and why I wanted a tiny life and why in the world would I sell all my stuff? Cause I had some really neat things, but the things I truly loved and that were really neat, I kept. You get to keep your stuff that you want to keep, right? So anyhow, but everybody was looking around and they were, I was just listening. There weren't any speakers at that one. And, and, and people were looking at the tiny houses and so excited. And I, you'll see it on my website or whatever, but that to me, I think the draw is the simpler life. You know, the tiny house affords or even a model home. People love to go to the parade of homes, that type of thing, or look at real estate. And, and realtors will tell you don't have a cluttered house because it'll sell better. And that's true because people want to see that simpler life and imagine themselves in it. And that's what these people were doing at the festival. And I was so excited. And then you would see this, but, and well, like a dark cloud. And they'd say, what would I do with all my stuff? I couldn't live in one of these because what would I do with my stuff? I don't even know where to begin. And, and just all the, just the pain or the hurt or the dream, just right immediately gone and that's when I knew I got what they were saying and how they felt because I'd been that way for you know 33 years and from from 1982 when I first got married up until 
2015 when I was, you know, going to be an empty nester and a single empty nester. And um, I understood it. And different people say, how'd you do it? And, 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 and they would just, there was like this thing of hope. And so that's what had me do the course in the book and talk about it with people because it can be done. Because if I can do it, the queen of heartstrings, anybody can do it. But, nice. it. but it's hard. I want to tell you about our next sponsor, tinyhouseforum.com. Tiny House Forum is an online community for exchanging information, ideas, and resources related to the tiny house movement all in one central location. Tiny House Forum is dedicated to inspiring and nurturing all who are interested in furthering their knowledge of the tiny house revolution. And right now, you can be entered to win $500 cash by joining Tiny House Forum and making your first few posts. You can learn more about the contest and sign up at tinyhouseforum.com. Tinyhouseforum.com is 100% free to use and joining is easy. Head on over to tinyhouseforum.com to participate in the discussions or start a new topic of your own and be entered to win $500 cash. Thank you so much to Tiny House Forum for sponsoring our show. So I'm curious, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about why you chose a motorhome. Oh, good question. Over a van or a school bus conversion or an RV or a tiny house on wheels. There's so many options. Why, why a motorhome? Because at the time, I didn't know all of my options. And uh, when I made a decision, I think it was like January, I'd come home for yet another family funeral. And um, I was so far away and I couldn't always get back. So I knew I needed to get, you know, back, back. Virginia is my home. So I knew I needed to get back there. And I started looking at options. And one of the reasons originally leaving Utah, I was in Utah, but anyhow, so one of the reasons to leave there was because I was spending almost all of my income on what well, time originally a mortgage and then after divorce, a rent, and I didn't have money to even get back for family of things. So when I was back, you know, I was out looking with my dad and I was looking at this like a garage build and I thought I could turn this into a home. I used to sell real estate way back a long time ago. I mentioned that in the beginning. So everything I look at, I think I could turn into a home anyhow, but I didn't have a lot of time because I, because the daughter was graduating and I needed to get back to Virginia and I was going to do it on May 31st. And so, um, but in answer to your question, um, I saw these tiny homes and I loved it and I don't want to discourage anybody out there, but and at the time, remember, I still had all my stuff. Plus, I'm an only child, so I am very into mine and me, as you probably noticed. And uh, so, you know, my life just started like that. But anyhow, um, I couldn't get answers to the legalities of the county I was going to. Now, this was back in 2015. So I didn't know about, you know, all you guys and, and just all the different resources. And, and the progress hadn't been made quite yet. So then I was looking at these things called tiny houses on wheels. And I thought, well, that's awesome because I have land in Virginia. And I thought, well, this will be very cool because I could do a tiny house. But then I read something where some one, one person, no one takes one, but anyhow, they're, they're, they came down and it was gone. Somebody had hooked up a truck to it and taken it off. So, and there's plenty of ways now that is addressed in your area. Anyhow. So I, I thought, well, I just can't have that. And plus, then there was the time and the cost, and I didn't have, I didn't have anything left. I'd given all my alimony back, and I just, I was just living it and making it on my own and no debt. 
So then I, I couldn't get answers. And then I was looking at, well, I'll just get it, put a garage up and I'll turn part of that, convert part of that. But it was the time issue. And so then I started thinking outside the box and people said, you know, um, I hadn't thought about the van quite as much because I had a Suburban and I love my Suburban. And um, I just hadn't thought, but I'm really thinking about van for traveling and going places now too. But anyhow, however, bottom line is I'm thinking outside the box at 15 acres in Virginia. And there had been a friend of mine that had a, had a bus sitting on the property. So I started just, you know, I was thinking outside the box and counties all over the United States do flyovers in the wintertime when the leaves are gone to see if anybody's put up a new shed, a new structure, et cetera. And that's how a lot of times people, besides neighbors or whatever. So I thought I had to do something. And um, I got to thinking about that bus that was sitting there and I called the people to see if they were still trying to sell it. And they said that, um, you know, all the new RVs, everybody wants to slide out and stuff. And theirs was a GMC, like an old Greyhound bus that had been converted. Well, you know, it looks dated on the inside compared to what woods and stuff people are using now, but it was in perfect shape. It still runs, et cetera. They couldn't sell it. They thanked me for letting me keep it on the property. And I met them at the DMV for $1 and I got that bus for a dollar. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, there's deals to be had. You got to think outside the box. Um, oh, and, and so the reason I brought mentioned the flyers is I thought, you know, the counties have been seeing that bus sit on that property at different places for the last 10 years. Personal property taxes are being paid on it. I didn't think it would be an issue and it hasn't been. So that's how I ended up with the converted motor coach. So, I mean, I'd be fine in a tent or a yurt, but I wanted something to say. So I've been living mostly off grid legally on my own property and paying ta- my personal property taxes, which is almost nothing. And um, I've been doing it for four years, a little over four years now. So it can be done. That's fantastic. If you could do it over again, would you go with a motorhome? I mean, I guess for the price, it can't be beat. I sure would. Yeah. Sure would. Yeah. I, I like the, I, I still like, um, I still like having a home base and then going off from that. And, um, and I like to go back country roads sometimes, and you can't always do that with a tiny house or an RV, just sometimes, you know, the um, clearances on like old railroad bridges and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, I, I really, I really like it. I, I, I wouldn't mind building a tiny house, but I'd probably want to do it on a foundation. It's, it's just who I am, but I have nothing against, definitely don't have anything against wheels. And I don't drive mine. People are always asking me if I ever take it out on the road. It is road worthy. It fires right up. But again, I'm also very frugal, obviously. And I didn't want to get into having to insure it to put it on the road. I'm sure, you know, I've got, I don't know, 12, 14 tires on it that are massive. You know, they come up to my, almost my shoulders. They're really big. So they're expensive. I'd be looking at thousands of dollars in tires alone. Um, I've got two 100 gallon diesel tanks on it which I don't know what diesel is right now, but when I was looking at it, it was right about $4 a gallon. So that's $800 just to put diesel in it. Wow. Might get, yeah, might get better gas mileage than my Suburban. But um, I just, the cost, I just, I like having, I move it every once in a while on the property, you know, just to move it and fire it up and whatever. But I don't take it out on the road. I could, but I don't. Right. So tell me about your books and your resources, you know, how you're helping people with this downsizing process? Okay. Well, a lot of people had asked me 
uh, to help them. But when I was in and to do it in the 31 days, that was the kicker because people want to get done, get on with their lives, which I highly, you know, recommend. So I originally did, but I couldn't, I could only be with maybe, it only helped about 10 people and 10 people in a year, you know. So back a little over a year ago, I actually worked with Katie Horner and I put a course together to actually teach people to do it how I did it. That way I could get it to more people. And then, so um, actually we've got it opening up on September 4th and, and within 31 days and we have a Facebook group with it so that people get stuck or they need help just kind of like how you do in, in your group, you know, so that comes with a course. And then, um, but you know, not everybody wants to, to do it that way. So uh, somebody actually in the media, Tommy Crudup had said, you need to put your course into a book. And I thought, but I got the course. He's like, you need to put it into a book. So I did. And so my 31-day guide to creating your clutter-free home oasis, long verbiage there. Um, if you go to Amazon and you just say, you just put in Brenda and the word oasis, I pop right up. I'm right there on the cover so you'll know. And it is actually, you know, the step-by-step, a little bit of my story. Um, and it's the actual process that you can go through in your own time frame. But I still recommend doing it, you know, as, as quickly as possible to go through. I don't have any regrets. I didn't get rid of anything that I regret getting rid of. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I highly recommend doing it and getting it done. Yeah, it strikes me that the, the aggressive deadline and speed can help you get into a rhythm. Because once you start getting rid of things, it gets a little bit almost addictive. You're like, oh, this is not that bad and this is awesome. And so you want to just keep doing it. And I feel like if you take a long break, you end up having to go through the whole like emotional process again. Well, you do. And I think a lot of people stop and they stay stopped or you almost feel a sense of defeat and, and never, never feel that way. You know, I mean, even, even if you just take, well, I'll tell you, I have a little bit, um, it's wonderful for people to like get rid of one thing and then double it the next day to two and then you double it to four and then you double that to eight. And I think at the end of the month, you've gotten, I had the exact numbers, but I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's 300 and some, maybe close to 400 items at the end of the one month. So at the end of the year, you're close to maybe have gotten rid of about 4,000 things. But I did the math on that. And, and at the time I was 54, I'm almost 60 now, but anyhow, so that would have taken me almost 82 years. And that's just going with the assumption that are the, um, not assumption, but there's an average that the average American household has 300,000 items in it. And that it would have taken me 82 years. I didn't have 82 years. You know, I had 31 days and not everybody can do it. Now I did take off. I, you know, I, I was going from Virginia, excuse me, Utah to Virginia. So I did take off a month of work so I could dive into it. And in the very beginning, like after five minutes, I'd paralyze out. I'd want to go watch Food Network and learn how to cook because I was the chef wannabe. I actually had almost everything, you know, under the sun. I had a lot I had to let go of. But anyhow, um, so it was just kind of funny. But um, I had a whole point that I just totally lost by saying that chef wannabe. Anyhow, um, put me back on track. What was I supposed to be telling Talking you about? about the aggressive <laughs> timeline and how it's yes, helpful. Yes, and exactly. So, um you just want to get in there and, and get it done. And, and the, I, I love the idea of uh, the simple wins for a drawer, but when you're not actually going through it and applying a course that I call the rule, of, I do call it the rule of four, which is the, um, you know, 
keep what you honestly need, what you really use and what you truly love and everything else is empty clutter. I'm not going to tell you that you can only keep 10 books or 33 items in your, in your closet because you're actually creating your oasis, not mine, not somebody else's. And that's why this process works regardless of the size of your home, whether you're going bigger, smaller, staying in your current home forever, that's okay. You just want to create your oasis and you keep the things that are important to you and what, you know, like I said, what you use. So when people say all the time, well, what about your collections? You still go through your collection. Sometimes there's some things in it that you really don't like. You don't use it, doesn't add any value. So you might be able to let go of a few pieces and but if you truly love it, keep it. And if you're going tiny, you, then you got to make decisions. I had a um, china cabinet that I had made in, gosh, years and years ago. And I, I hauled that all over the place. I put it into storage and I paid like $2,500 for it back in the day. And I probably paid over $18,000 in storing it and moving it and whatever. And then at the very end, couldn't put it in my, <laughs> I couldn't put it in my bus. I had to sell it. And I was totally okay letting it go because of the life I was getting ready to have. So, um, yeah, so you just, you, you create your, you create your day. But I, you know, they're, they're chains and it keeps you heavy. And, um, oh, you asked about resources too. And so I, I do have a membership group that's getting ready to open up that some people can't do it in 31 days. So I thought, well, what if we just did a chapter or a grouping once a week or, you know, just give people a little bit more time in there. Cause I had to get real aggressive. Not everybody can be as aggressive as I was, but you still apply the same process and you still apply your same order of items, you know? So, um, and you honestly, when you get towards the end of it, you can almost walk into room and think, I want to keep this, this, and this, and I know everything else has to go. I'm going to tell you to touch it anyhow, especially books, which was one of my favorite things. Um, as well, cookbook specifically, you want to at least flip through them, not read them, but you do want to go through them because there might be a letter from somebody in there or you might find some money. So you don't want to just let everything go. You know, you want to take a look at everything and feel it and whatever. But um, yeah, so I hope that helps and answers a little bit. Yeah, definitely. This has been, I think, really helpful. I learned, I learned some things. And one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources other than your own, obviously you recommend those, that you recommend to our listeners to help them on their tiny house journeys or with their downsizing journeys? Oh, wow. I don't have an exact answer for that. Um, I haven't read anything recently. Oh, gosh. Are there any people that you like to follow, like in the tiny house or downsizing space? So, yes. As far as how to downsize, you know, I have a hard time with almost everybody else's way at one time or another. So, um, but of course, you know, Ethan is here. You have just phenomenal, I'm not just saying because you're here, but I mean, I've told other people that too, just that you have built and the way that you can explain to people. So anything that you can watch in the tiny house um, world, you know, the tiny house festivals, the people that are there, um, anybody who's built a bus, you know, you can find out the pros and the cons and and the different tiny house groups on Facebook that, that are there. Um, shoot, I don't know, because I'm, I'm afraid to actually say certain people because I'm afraid I'll, I'll forget people. So I do like the tiny house magazine. I'm actually a contributor to that. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, an online magazine. Um, you know, anything that Ethan has recommended in there, I, I totally agree with. 
Um, I do follow, um, gosh, you really caught me off guard. You should give me a heads up on this. I'm <laughs> sorry. A list for you. Uh, it's okay. You know, um, I think everybody that you've had on your podcast, uh, Tiny House Expedition is another uh, great uh, people, you know, people to follow. As far as what's going on in the tiny house, Tom Stanton just said something about um, a, a, a legalization bill that just went through Virginia today. Nice. So, um, you know, you can you can follow them, read up on the people, and the ones that have been around for a while, I think, are some of the very best. I, I've just I've just been living it. You know, I got into the um, the prepping and homesteading as well as the tiny house and, and eating healthy, all that. Well, I can talk about all that obviously forever. So. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is just your stuff doesn't represent you. You are not what you own. Don't wait for one day. And I have not answered your people question. That's okay. However, I will be happy to make a listing for you and uh, put it at least in the Facebook group. Nice. Other people. Yeah. Well, you really, you did a great job. I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. This was really fun. Oh, thank you for having me. You can find the show notes from today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 075. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 075 for photos of Brenda's tiny motorhome, uh, links to her book and downsizing course, and more. Thank you so much to this week's sponsors, Strategic Insurance Agency and tinyhouseforum.com. I really appreciate your support of the show. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.